We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley's here. I am here on this football Friday, and Cooley was just FaceTiming with me uh, before we started to record the show, uh, and he said it's a beautiful morning in Wyoming. And, of course, I've got you dialed in on my weather app. Um, it's 52 degrees in Pal, as we're talking about. You know what the temperature is here right now? I, do, I, I have not checked. Well, you should check every once in a while. I do it for you all the time. It's 50. I do. I, do, I check all the time. I just have not checked today. It's 54 degrees. When I woke up this morning, it was 51 degrees on my temperature reading on my car. It is technically the first full day of fall because the autumnal equinox happened last night at 9.04 p.m. And the reason I know that is because Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, who were calling the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, Al interrupted the football programming to, programming to let everybody know that it was the official start of fall at 9.04 p.m. last night. And it felt like fall here this morning. God, it looks beautiful out there. I like your pond. I love uh, you know, Oh, out here. It's, so it's been beautiful out here for a while. You're still hot, which I hate it. But I, I loved that first week, and it was usually some, sometimes it got into October. But it was usually, it was that first week in the DMV where it wasn't humid. I know, and it took forever. I, you know, it's, it's so funny because everyone's like, well, I said, well, "Why do you?" It's because we were practicing every day yeah. in the fall. And it's 95 degrees and humid or 90 degrees or whatever. Like, please end with this heat. But it was always October there. And it's so funny because I relate all this weather stuff to football. I always remember here in Utah, after the first football game, you'd wake up the first Saturday morning after the first game. And it would feel a little crisp in the air. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's like September 1st, October, or August, whatever. God, it's nice. I don't want it to, I don't like the cold, though. Don't want that. But no. I, I love it. Then, then you shouldn't be living like, where you're you, living. Like, I looked at my weather. I looked at my weather yesterday or the day before. 
because the next like eight days are between high of 71 and 80 and low of 49. We li- you know, that's, how, that's how I want to live. I, I totally agree. Look, the, the truth is, I mean, I love this time of year, but, and you know how much I love snowstorms and stuff in winter, but we don't have a, a winter like you have in Wyoming. But I do really like a 75 degree breezy day, not, <laughs> not, not too windy. Um, and we have this same forecast over the next like 10 days. It's like highs in the upper sixties to mid seventies and low at night in the upper forties to low fifties. And that's for the, that's for the city. I mean, if you're out where you used to live way out, you know, Leesburg way, West Virginia, West Virginia way. I mean, it's going to be in the upper thirties at night. So yeah, I, I don't. I think we're we done with the heat and humidity, um, which is nice, which is that's great. That's early for you, though. You're uh, not done with it. You're right about that. Do but you the, remember? Yeah, you I'm remember, just saying the long range okay. forecast right now says that we are done with it. Okay. But but it could change. Go ahead. Do I remember what? I'll never I'll never forget playing the Lions. Um, probably 2006, 2007 ish. We played the Lions at home in mid-October or early October. Mm-hmm. It was 95 degrees at kickoff. <laughs> oh, yeah. There have been some of those. Oh. I remember a, a, a game against the Cowboys with Heath Schuler playing quarterback, and it was the hottest October day on record in the history of the city. It was like 92 degrees, and it was, it was like mid to late October. I think it was one of the warmest days October, ever in October. And, God, we got smashed. Um, okay, enough of the fall talk. It's nice, and it's, the, it's the, a great time of the year. Um, I know. I want to I I ask you something. Um, do you consider yourself a comparable or better career tight end than any one of the following three? Dallas Clark, Ben Coates, or Wesley Walls? Wesley Walls retired before I I know started playing. But you you remember him, right? Yeah, he played for Carolina. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Um, Don Bro loved Wesley Walls. Do you consider yourself to, to be comparable? Yeah, I'm better than all of them. Okay, guess what they were just named to? The modern era Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2023 nominee list. Now, this is the big list of, you know, uh, I don't know, 130 players that'll be narrowed down to semifinalists and then eventually finalists. But the three tight ends on the list are Dallas Clark, Ben Coates, and Wesley Walls. Now, Ben Coates did have a career that had, you know, a few more catches than yours, 17 more touchdowns than yours. He was also named All-Pro first team twice, All-Pro second team once, and a Pro Bowler uh, five times. So he actually had a more surprisingly productive career than I would have thought, actually. I didn't realize it was that good. Um, Ben Coates, he played forever. Dallas Clark had 505 career receptions, obviously playing most of those years with Peyton Manning. 
Um, you had 429 career receptions. He had 53 touchdowns. You had uh, 33 touchdowns. He had one Pro Bowl appearance. You had two. And then Ben Coates had also 50 touchdowns, 499 career receptions. So more on both ends. I already mentioned Ben Coates. Um, Wesley Walls, I was saying. Um, uh, 54 career touchdowns, 450 receptions, just a few more than yours, and five Pro Bowls and three uh, second-team All-Pros. I mean, your career statistically is behind their careers in numbers. You have one more Pro Bowl appearance than Dallas Clark. But, you know, Dallas Clark played with Peyton Manning. Wesley Walls played on some of those really good, you know, productive Carolina teams that were, you know, went right through the, uh, you know, into the early 2000s. I mean, shit, Jake DeLome is on this list for quarterbacks. I mean, Jake DeLome should not be a Hall of Fame nominee. Anyway, um, I thought you should know this. No, and you know what? That's, um, I shouldn't be either. So, fine. Yeah, but the fact that they're on the big list to, to narrow it down from? I don't want to be on the big list. Why? What do you mean you don't want to be on the big list? Because I don't deserve to be anywhere near that. that. That wasn't my career. Yeah, but the big list is the big list. Most of these people are never going to see anything close to a Hall of Fame induction. But they create a big list. I'm just surprised that on this big list, maybe you know somebody didn't consider putting you on the big list. What do you think about the Eagles? I hope they don't. I, I mean, I'm literally I'm sitting here saying to you that I shouldn't be on the big list, and I don't want to be on the big list. <laughs> okay, fine. What do you think of the Eagles? <laughs> no, it's no, it's it's they were all good players for sure. Yeah, better than all of them. If you had if you had been drafted by Indianapolis instead of Washington in 2004, and you were what Dallas Clark was, you would have been better, and you would be actually a legitimate hall of famer uh, a legitimate a, yeah, a, a well, legitimate I'm, I'm you'd have a legitimate hall of fame worthy career in numbers because i think you're be- i think you were better than dallas clark i do that's awesome i was better than dallas clark so if i would have had an owner who didn't pick every quarterback for his team, even though he didn't know anything about football, I, it would have been the same as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, what do you want? Like, there's a lot of ifs, but there's also, I was on the cusp of the if of, if I would have been drafted to a team out of Utah State, I, there might have been, I might have had 72 career catches and played a lot of special teams. Right. I was fortunate to have Joe Gibbs draft me and to play for Joe and to start there with a, on a team that had no tight ends. Mike Sellers and Brian Kozlowski were the tight ends. Mike isn't even a tight end when I got drafted. Right, I know. Which and is why they traded Walter up to take Rasby. you. And Walter Rasby. Walter Rasby, right. Yeah, shot in high I right actually love Rasby, but I will never forget this day. My rookie season, we're five games in. He is going to cover a punt, and he literally got taken into the water cooler. <laughs> like the Gatorade bench, like eight yards off the sideline. He got blocked into it and just railroaded into that. <laughs> we're watching him because we all like that. We're like, oh, my God, he just got taken into the Gatorade bench. <laughs> 
Do you know what's funny about Walter Rasby? So Marty Schottenheimer brought him. Did. What'd you say? But after, I think I think they cut him after that. But after that happened, yeah, he was kind of the one that was in charge of the room. He was the oldest of the veterans, or for whatever reason, or he was the guy. The guy. He made me get breakfast sandwiches. He on Fridays. Made, he, he made what the tight ends breakfast sandwiches, or just you? No, he, I had to go get them. Oh, like, he made you thing. go get them. Got it. What did you get? And after that, I started. I started starting almost in every everything. I said, "I'm done getting breakfast sandwiches." <laughs> How long did you do it for? <laughs> Five weeks. I said, "You can go get breakfast sandwiches." <laughs> you said it to Raz. <laughs> yeah, he is a great dude. What kind of brisk breakfast sandwiches would you, you get? You know who else And Robert, I've been, I'm leaving out Robert Royal. He was Robert Royal was amazing too. What kind of breakfast sandwiches did you go get the uh, tight end room? I don't. There was a place that they always wanted me to go. It took forever. It was in Chantilly. I hated to have to do that. It's embarrassing. You know the funny thing is. Is when you're a rookie, it's the worst. Now that I'm 40, I would just go get breakfast sandwiches for everybody to be nice. <laughs> to be nice. <laughs> right. But didn't Sean really push back on all that rookie stuff? Yeah. Yeah, he immediately pushed back. But the rookie stuff is idiotic. I know, but you're, but you're, but you're go along to get along in a lot of those situations. And he was not right. I mean, was it, do you remember it ever being like a, 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 an issue with the, with the veteran players? No, Sean's scary. (laughs) Sean was scary. Yeah. Like I was like, not in a bad way, but I, I was scared of Sean. Don't mess with Sean. Yeah, you didn't mess with Sean. Walter Rasby, Brian Kozlowski, Chris Cooley were the tight ends on that roster. Robert Royal. And Robert Royal. Zeron Flemister was gone. That was what I was going to say. I said uh, the um, Walter Rasby and Zeron Flemister were the tight ends during the Marty Schottenheimer year. And it's just so crazy because they had Tony Banks and Kent Graham as their quarterbacks. And it's like... The, the the they just couldn't throw the football to save their lives, but they were really a tough team by the time that season ended. And Zeron Flemister and 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 uh, and Walter Rasby probably combined for twenty total catches on the year, but they were all big ones, and they all seemed to be touchdowns. Anyway, uh, all right, enough about uh, tight ends of the past and tight ends that you're better than. Although, ha- why do I think you told me once? that Peyton Manning said something to you at a Pro Bowl or something about it would have been fun to play with you. Did he say that to you, or am I making that up in my own mind? No, we, I think we, I think it was something of the sorts. But Peyton Manning is one of those dudes that knows every single player in the NFL, probably watches film or watched film just out of interest on every single player in the NFL. Yeah. I was, I was kind of blown away that, Peyton knew as much about me as a player as he did. Because everyone knew about Peyton, but I didn't know about 
other players the way he knew. Right. He yeah. studied it. Peyton was incredible. Yeah, that would have been a hard career, you know, to have Tom Brady or Peyton Manning throw to you. Yeah, I mean, well, even a guy like Jason Witten, who had, who had Romo. I mean, just think about how, you know, I know that you had this situation with the Parcells meeting, and, you know, he didn't really see you as a tight end. Um, but imagine you had be, been uh, the tight end instead of Witten. I know Witten was a great tight end, but, you know, a lot of it is circumstance. You just got into a bad situation. I know you loved Brunel, but it was, you know, it was Jason Campbell. and a... I liked all our guys. I really, I, 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 I know what we're doing. But you just got to remember, like, I wasn't Sean Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, well, nobody was. I think I would have made it anywhere. I think, I, I mean, I have a lot of pride. I have a lot of resilience. I'm, I could play. I probably would have made it. I, I'd say that, you know, it could have went a different way, but maybe it wouldn't have. Who was the best tight end of your era? Gates? Or Witten? No, I was. Who? Okay. <laughs> um, Tony Gonzalez. Well, Gonzalez, yeah. Did you ever... Uh, did you ever look up to these guys? Did you ever watch tape on these guys? Or did yeah, you... I watched the of Tony Gonzalez. You did? So the, the big part, Tony Gonzalez is a little bit older. He, I mean, obviously he played through most of my era, but he was... So when Al Saunders came to Washington, all we did was watch the Chiefs stuff that he had run in Kansas City. And that's how we installed all our things. And then over the first year, we really weren't very good with it. So we're still watching Kansas City film to install. Yeah, I watch more Tony Gonzalez than more people, probably than most people in the world. Um, Gates was really, really good. Gates was a different dude. Um, he was so special as a route runner. He was, he's really just a big receiver that put his hand down every once in a while, or quite a bit. He couldn't block anybody, but he did things that most tight ends couldn't do. Gates moved like Jordan Reed. Right, exactly. He was super quick twitch, super twitchy, um, had real innate like separation skills at the top of his route. Uh, but then the, the craziest thing, like, when the Chargers beat us there in 2005. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that one. You remember the time in overtime. caught a ball in overtime and turned and burst. And I just didn't think he was that fast until I saw it in real life. And then... You're like this guy. This guy is insane. He was fast. He was. He was. Very, he was very good. He was a great guy too. I liked. I liked Antonio Gates. You know that. Um, that yeah, Witten was good. Like that game against the Chargers. You remember that? I mean, yeah, you're talking about exactly. Gates, but that was the game where uh, LT scored on a long run in overtime, like the first play of overtime or something like that. And you guys lost to uh, the Chargers who were coached by Marty Schottenheimer. And the week before that, you had lost to the Raiders who were coached by Norv Turner. So two former coaches in back-to-back weeks came into FedEx Field and beat Gibbs in your teams. And then 
after that Charger loss was when you guys, I think the next week was the game in St. Louis that kicked off the run to end the season that got you into the postseason. Yeah, after the Chargers lost, Joe Gibbs said, I will not leave the facility. I think it was after the Raiders lost. That was two in a row, the Raiders, because we lost three in a row the middle of that year. Joe wouldn't leave. Joe just camped out in the facility. Oh, God. So, I mean, it worked. I, it sounds funny or sounds silly to some extent, but when your players and when everyone on your team knows that our coach is literally sleeping in the facility and all he's doing is football. Because, hey, 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 we're going to draw a line in the sand right now. Right now. We're going to start kicking their butts. Um, God, I love Joe. That season, I just pulled that season up. You're right. It was three losses yeah, in a row. five games was so much fun. But the three losses in a row were to the Buccaneers on the all-stop two-point conversion where he didn't score, but they called it good, and you lost 36-35. to Then you lost to Norv and the Raiders at home 16-13. to And then the real – I mean, that was a hell of a game, too, against the Chargers. I was at that game. I remember that was such an exciting game. Drew Brees was their quarterback. You know, Tomlinson was their, their back. Gates, I mean, they had such a good team. By the way, they would have a receiver that ended up playing for you guys, Rache Caldwell, who, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't he dead? I don't know. I think he died, and I don't know how. Hold on. I, I hate doing this sometimes. Why are you whispering it to me? <laughs> I, I, because sometimes I do this. Like, I have these, uh, I have these memories. Like, I think something happened to them, and then I'm wrong, and it's like, no, he did. He died June sixth, in at twenty twenty, um, at forty one years Dang. old. How did uh, he die? He was shot and killed on June sixth, twenty twenty, during a robbery uh-huh. attempt. And by the way, earlier that year, he was accused by the Justice Department of conspiracy to commit health care fraud. Uh, he also had been uh, arrested a few years earlier for drug possession with the intent to distribute and was sentenced to 27 months in federal, in federal prison and three years probation. But he played on one of your teams, like the 2007 team I think he was on. Do you remember that? What rem- he just did was so weird. <laughs> yeah, everyone called him Riche. Like, like he just did was so weird. Why? Like you just whispered, "I think he just died." <laughs> well, and then you read off like his criminal record. Well, I I was just What's wrong with. I you? was in I was in the Wik, I was in the Wikipedia. I was getting deep into the Wikipedia of Rache Caldwell. I can tell you that. Was he was he a nice was he a nice teammate to play with? I don't even remember Rache. I mean, I I can't even see his face in my. Uh, clearly, I can say one thing. I was a shitty teammate because I don't know half the guys I played with. Seriously? I I I, I remember the name, and I know that I know everyone called him Riche, <laughs> or I did. I I know how to pronounce his name, but no, I don't even remember his face. It's fine. I have CTE. 
Do you remember? So you know when he played well for you guys it was the 2007 season. I just pulled it up um, when you guys made the run after Sean's death. And I mean, not to make this podcast about death. Knock on wood that we're everybody's healthy. Um, but you, um, you guys won those final four games with Todd Collins and Rache Caldwell had some big catches in that game against Minnesota on a Sunday night. Um, that was a really good game for him. Uh, I'm looking up uh, game by game for him at the end of that year. He had he had um, he had four catches against Minnesota. He had two catches in the Dallas game where you guys clinched the playoff berth, and you don't even remember him. Rest in peace. Oh yeah, I do. Basically, I love this guy. It was great. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, tell us about the Eagles. No, I'm not joking. I had to. I had to bring this. Bring him up. Tell us about the Eagles. Bring him up. <laughs> um, I, the crazy thing with the Eagles is, if you get decent Jalen Hurts throwing the football, they're so good. Yeah, uh, he's going to run and he's going to move around and he's going to scramble and he's going to make plays. It's hard to keep him in the pocket. But if he's making any legitimate throws as he's doing this, they're really tough. They run the ball really, really well. I think they have weapons. And Jalen Hurts is kind of, you know, it's it's crazy because I just, it, and I've, I've said this forever and I still feel this way, but it's, my, some, some things are changing the way I think about it, is I don't want to. If I'm running offense, I don't want to operate that way. Where I, uh, my quarterback's one read, and then I don't know what the, what the hell is happening. My God, where's he going? But it is fun to watch. Well, I mean, they run the so much moves. RPO. They run so much zone read. I mean, and and so far, it's not like he's had to really drop back and deliver from the pocket on third and nine. They just don't have. They just aren't in that situation a lot. It doesn't seem. No, uh, they haven't been, but they run the ball so dang well. I don't know. It's they're a fun team to watch. They are fun to watch. I mean, you, you, do you? I mean, okay. So. We know this, that you're watching some football here and there, and you're you're doing yeoman's work for this podcast, and it's so appreciated. And at the same time, you know, you're not, you know, knee-deep into all of the storylines around the teams because you're watching the games, and then you're kind of checking out. And that's why I've, you know, I updated you last week on a couple of things Washington-related that you hadn't heard. You're all the way out in Wyoming, for crying out loud. But I just want you to know... I know all the way where the internet the internet two days late. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, you get you, you have slow internet. You don't have great phone connections, and you know you're going to have to travel to Billings to get a Chick Fil A here in a couple of weeks. Um, but what I or was it a Chipotle? I forget. I think it's a Chick Fil A, uh, and that's Billings. Billings has Chipotle already. They're just getting Chick Fil A. <laughs> okay, well, Chick Fil A in Billings, Montana. You're going to have to drive all the way there to get a Chick Fil A. My point is, is that after these first two games, 
Buffalo is like the talk of the league. They look like the best team. And the second biggest discussion in the league are the Philadelphia Eagles. And especially, they had 350 yards in the first half against Minnesota on Monday night. 350! Hertz was 17 of 20 for nearly 300 yards in the first half. Uh, three, it was 313 yards of total offense in the first half from Hertz. And so it's Philadelphia hard. looks it's like the favorite in the it's NFC. Really put it on 22. When you sit there on all 22, and sometimes you lose track of score. Yeah. I mean, you don't really lose track of score. You're just not focused on when you're watching that. The, the stupid film thing, especially with the way the NFL one works, you're not necessarily focused on any form of the game. You're just watching. You're like, holy shit, they're kicking the shit out of Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, they're kicking their ass. So how do you stop them? How do you beat them? You got to turn them over. You have to turn them over. But it, this, here's the craziest thing: is how does how does Washington beat Seattle? Whatever five years ago with Russell Wilson, when our friend Tony introduced himself in the locker room, or whatever that guy's name was. <laughs> what was his name? What was his name? That's such a great pull. Hold on, I gotta find it. I, I, our lads will have it. That was the year that like Washington. I had, know. Like, 11 new players. D'Angelo Hall played safety. Um, Tony. We called him Tony. Or his real name was Tony, wasn't it? Uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Tony Bergstrom. And we, what did Tony what, Bergstrom. What did we call him, Tom? Todd. Todd, Todd Bergstrom. Todd Bergstrom and Tyler Catalina and Ari Kwanjo and Orlando Franklin were walking into the locker room before that Seattle game, introducing themselves to their teammates and saying, by the way, I'm starting today. TJ Clemmings is another one that was on that roster. I'm looking at it right now. Todd, you just got to walk into the game and he's like, hey, uh... So what are the plays <laughs> that we're running? What are we doing here? What's that? Go- What's the quarterback calling there? What am I supposed to do? Just block the guy in front of you. How did they ever win that game <laughs> against Seattle? I don't know. And how did they keep Russell Wilson? They contained Russell Wilson in the pocket. All he ever did was continue to move backwards. <laughs> they were dog crap on offense. I was sitting there like I was flummoxed. <laughs> They had no tight ends. No tight ends. I remember like 20 people called me, asked me if I was going to play in that game. <laughs> like, are you, seriously, can you just, are you going to play in this game? Like, they don't have anybody. Um, I mean, how do they beat them? You, you, I'll tell you how you lose to them. Is Jalen Hurts, they run the ball effectively without, I mean, just, with some of the zone stuff, some of the zone read stuff in the RPO game, they 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 run the ball effectively. But then Jalen Hurts starts making plays, and it's over for Washington. Yeah, 
I just just the problem so, too is their defense is not they're they're good defense. I, let me just make one thing really clear here, okay? This is not the odds that they they had against Seattle that day. And that day, I'm looking at this just so you know. Seattle missed two field goal, th- three field goals in the game. They had um, they missed three field goals in a game. They had two turnovers and 16 penalties in the game for 138 yards. And then down fourteen uh, ten, Kirk remember threw that dime to Brian Quick, who got you know knocked out on the sideline, and then threw a bomb to Josh Doxson, and then they scored to win the game. Amazingly, but it took. Two turnovers, three missed field goals, and 16 penalties to pull that off. That's not what Washington needs Sunday to beat Philadelphia. They need some of that, but not anywhere near all of that. I'm really just, I'm really just, I wasn't, the poll wasn't to say that there's no chance, like when they went into, the poll was really just in recalling how good Russell Wilson had been through parts of that year yeah, and how much Washington's defense had struggled, especially when a quarterback could manipulate and move and get outside the pocket. Right. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know what the game plan was or if Russell Wilson just did the, didn't have a day. Well, I mean, they're facing a quarterback here in Hurts that they haven't faced in the first two weeks in terms of how dynamic he is. And an offense with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, and the best offensive line in football, I think you could debate easily. And so, I don't know, like I I talked about something this morning on the show. When you have that RPO stuff going and zone read stuffing and stuff going, and you've got a true dual threat with weapons and a great offensive line, it really comes down to just being disciplined. I mean, you can't right, you can't give up. And in, in 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 true passing situations, it's almost like you just have to contain him in the pocket because if he gets outside of it, you're you dead. But they they're not going to do that. I don't know. It, it, like, as long as they don't rush as individual contractors, maybe they have a chance. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the number one and no, the highest-paid individual contractor isn't playing this week. He's still hurt. What's that? The 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 number one uh, independent contractor is is still on the pup list. It'd be Ch- nice Chase, to have that contractor Chase back. Him. Like that that we we I got you, buddy. Yeah. I got you. Well, it's early. Like, that's you. the subcontractor that we need on our housing project right now. I know that he's frustrating, and sometimes you don't know what he's doing on the job. But sometimes he's really good on the job. He's talented. It's like, <laughs> like we think he's going to be one of the best framers in Park County, Wyoming. So we would like to have him. We hate that you know he did shoot a nail into his hand framing, but. <laughs> Have you seen Have you seen the YouTube uh, guy, club pro guy, golf pro, uh, club pro guy? Have you seen any of those videos? Uh, maybe I don't. Well, yeah, yeah, no. I think I think I get some of them sent to me in text. 
So one of them is the signing, the big signing of Anastasia Adams as their cart, uh, as their, as their cart girl on the golf course, you know, and you know, there it's, it's, this is hysterically funny for those of you that don't know that it's just this guy that basically holds these press conferences at a golf club to talk about golf things in a very funny way. But Anastasia Adams, at one point he says, look, you know, her measurables, you know, especially, you know, uh, up top, um, uh, there's just no, there's no comparable for them. Now, the problem of course, is you're never sure when Anastasia will show up at work and whether or not she'll be on time. But when she's there, I mean, she can, she can turn a Coke and a hot dog into three transfusions and four ham sandwiches, you know? A transfusion for you non-golf people is a golf uh, drink with uh, lots of vodka and lots of grape juice and lots of other things in it. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that's not golfing as well. That, yeah, that's my favorite club pro guy segment because Anastasia Adams is that you know is that independent contractor. I mean, she shows up at work. You're generating some revenue. But sometimes she shows up and she's, you know, a little bit off because of a rough night the night before. Or sometimes she just doesn't show up. You like when they show up. It's helpful. Yeah. Okay. That's actually not fair to the person we're talking about. I know. It's not at all. I think he's a hard worker. What I've heard is he's a hard worker. I agree. Okay, great. And I think think also over a year, two years – from a lot of people that I've heard is that they were stuck with somebody that they didn't want coaching them very much. Exactly. Sam Mills. Right. Who, by the way, is alive and well, but just not employed by the team anymore. Okay. Was he busted for drugs the last two years? Or no, no, no. He's, no, no, he's, yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got an absolute, I think, impeccable resume. I'm not even going to pull up his Wikipedia page because I don't want to read anything bad about Sam Mills. Um, okay. Uh, no, it's, but here's the, the problem. The problem really is with Philly. They're, they're, they're uber talented. Very. I mean, like when you put, and I, I think it's funny. Uh, me and a buddy are co-running a fantasy football team. Really, I'm too lazy to do any work, and he asked me if I would do it with him. It's his, it's his team. Mm-hmm. We drafted Devontae Smith. He's going to be a star. He's on my fantasy team, too. I got him on my fantasy team. Well, he's got to get to work. I mean, he's got some things to do for our teams. Well, he came alive on Monday night after no catches in week one. Um, I know. Uh, Devontae Smith, by the way, A.J. Brown is, you know, I had this conversation. A.J. Brown is, how about Tennessee's dead without A.J. Brown? I mean, it's not looking good right now. Although I think that guy, Traylon Burks, I think all of the rookie wide receivers look really good, the first-round guys. Um, and then the, the – uh, um, and then Pickens last night had an incredible catch for the Steelers uh, after you know being a, uh, having a really good preseason apparently. But I mean, AJ Brown. This was a conversation I got into with many uh, a caller on the radio show. I when we were talking about Terry before he signed um, his contract extension, I said, "Look, he's a really good receiver. He's somewhere between you know like twelve and fifteen. 
and I started listing all the receivers. It's, it's, it's an era of unbelievable wide receiver play in the NFL. We've never seen this kind of talent at the position. And Terry McLaurin is a really good player. But I never, ever would, would budge off of I would take A.J. Brown over Terry McLaurin because I would. He, he is, you know, the biggest thing with A.J. Brown in Tennessee was availability. There were some injuries there. Uh, but he is bigger, stronger, faster, more physical, and I think more explosive personally. I think he's, he's a great wide receiver. And now in, the, in, their, in their scheme where, you know, this, this, the, the RPO stuff, a lot of these guys are just running in space. I, you know, that's one of those things, Cooley, like Sunday, you, it, discipline – obviously, but you're going to have to tackle guys in space, and they have guys that can make you miss over and over again. Yeah. No, they have a lot of guys, but they have a quarterback who's going to do it, and it's going to be infuriating if he makes guys miss on every play. He did it the last two weeks. Ronnie, he did it for four years in college. Really, that last year at Oklahoma, there were some games that you're like, tackle him. Yeah. He's really tough to get down. He's better. He's a better runner than Russell Wilson ever was. Wow. I think they're comparable. He's a better runner than Russell Wilson. They're not comparable. Russell, Russ could get out of the pocket and make something happen and make one guy miss. Jalen Hurts can make four guys miss. Well, the other thing, too, is he can run you over. He can run you over, which he did at the goal line the other night on that long touchdown run. He apparently squats 600, uh, or 650 pounds. What was your best squat? I'm, I'm glad you know that. Well, because I, you, the, that's, a, that's a great tidbit. Well, they did that during the Monday night game. They had, they, had, they had video of him at Oklahoma and in Philadelphia squatting 600 pounds, I think it was, with the team going nuts. Apparently, he is beloved by teammates. They love him. I, I love that. What was your uh, My what, squat was more than that. My squat was more than that. But just can you imagine? Like, I cannot even fathom putting 650 pounds on my back right now. What was your best squat? I was in the 800 range. You were? Well, you should be. You're a tight end and you were a wrestler and you were, you're, you were strong. He's a quarterback. 600 pounds for a quarterback is yeah. pretty impressive. No, I think it's amazing. I also think there's no reason to ever squat as much as I squatted. My back hurts every day, and I know it's not because of football. It's from the squats. It's the fucking weightlifting. Yeah. I mean, how much do you think Mark Seriously, Brunel could have hey, squatted? Everyone, everyone that has kids, your, your high school kids, they don't need to squat more than 225 pounds, ever. Just do it more times. Right, more reps. Turn it into There's a There's a lot of other really cool things you can do. Like, you don't need to do back squats. It's stupid. Find another way to work your legs out. Hurt your back unless you do it exactly right. And even that, I did. I was a great form. They hate squats. Yeah. Um. So okay. yeah, the, what the, else? the other thing, the Philly. I mean, if they're really good. They're 
the Bash is really pretty darn good on defense. I mean, I think when you start to look at their their defensive talent with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, they got Hassan Reddick, yeah. who I really like. Uh, Darius Slay's a star. He had a he had a he, he, oh, he could have had like, four picks on Monday night. He had two. He could have had four. I know. I know who else you like. I'm yeah. trying to run through my mind of who that team is. Oh, um, is it Bradbury yeah. on the team? I, I, I you, you, like, you, you like Bradbury. Yeah. Yeah, he had a pick six in the opener against Detroit off a deflected pass. I like their yeah. – I mean, I like their front four. Now, they, they lost Derek Barnett for the year. Um, but, you know, Cox and Sweat's really good. Hargrave's good. Brandon Graham's back. Oh, yeah, Hargrave out of Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's there. Yeah. I like Hargrave a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a great kicker. They've got, you know, Jalen Rager is a punt returner. I mean, you don't see him on the field offensively. By the way, I think offensively, like their backs, I, I, I like Miles Sanders, but I, I think Gainwell is a real weapon. Um, you know, in kind of the way Curtis Samuel is a weapon, I don't think he is Curtis Samuel, but I think he has a lot of those um, talents. And Boston Scott, see, this is the thing, Cooley. When you have a legitimate dual-threat quarterback, and I've mentioned this all week long on radio and I think on the podcast, just like we used to talk about, and you and I used to tell everybody, please don't tell us about 11-on-11 football. You know, we've been, you, you learned it from Shanahan, and Shanahan used to tell me all about the advantages of having a dual-threat quarterback because you were 11-on-11 in the run game. And it used to just open up these gaping holes for Alfred Morris. And that's what you see in Philadelphia, these gaping holes for Sanders and Scott and Gainwell. When he's back there, because everybody is conflicted with, did the quarterback give it to him, or does he still have it in his in his hands? It's, and then even even if you leave guys unblocked at times, they're thinking about so much shit that Alfred Morris is going to run him over, or going to make one easy move and get by them. Yeah. I mean, you you can. There there were more plays when in that year with unblocked defenders that had no impact on plays. None. Yeah. And I don't mean unblocked defenders like we'll just leave them unblocked and hope they won't miss. Like you messed up. Someone didn't get up to guys. Mistakes are made, and they still don't make the plays. Not to mention there was no RPO in 2012. Now now it's. That's not entirely. I mean, there was no known the way we know it. RPO, right? Read the linebacker, but there was RPO. Yeah, there was RPO in two thousand four. Not college RPO. You have a run play like call. We see now. I, I, I don't care what you called it. You have a run play called, and you can have a receiver with the quarterback knowing if he gets a certain look, he's going to throw it to the receiver. So he would have the option to pass it to the receiver. With the line blocking run? Yeah. Okay. We had that in Joe Gibbs' offense. Okay, well, now with RPO, the line doesn't block that. run. Yeah, they do. Not more than a yard downfield. Yeah, they do. In college, not in pro. 
the reason they don't do it in pro is because it's against the rules. No, some some part of it is yes. The real reason is because if you are running to the right, they still let their left guard and left tackle block pass on an RPO. They fan out and block pass. The real reason is so you don't get your quarterback's head taken off. This is super important, and they read it faster in the NFL. Yeah, so but if you're running right in a, in a true run situation, full run, you would send your tackle and guard. And some teams send the guard still. But everyone in the NFL blocks pass with their tackle away from run instead of cut off. That, that's fine. The crazy thing is sometimes it works because sometimes it's like it, they just rush. They see that particular player – that, like the DN will see the tackle blocking pass and he'll rush pass, even though it's, it's run action. I understand that, and what you're explaining makes a lot of sense, and it's very. It's, I, I can I can envision it right now, and it's very informative. But what I'm saying is that just like we saw with the Chase Ruye, you know, on the RPO touchdown pass to Dotson in Week One, the NFL rule is one yard, the college rule is three yards. In college, you can hold that RPO longer and throw it. On the on on the mesh with with the back and and your decision process doesn't have to be as quick in the NFL you're going to have at least part of your line potentially downfield blocking and so it's got to get out quickly before they're a yard downfield or we saw this by the way the Eagles had multiple ineligible receiver penalties uh, downfield against them called in their RPO game on Monday night it was like an emphasis on Monday night I mean if they didn't have those penalties they would have had more yards. Yeah, if you're playing the Eagles, you're you're definitely walking out before the game, talking to the officiating crew, saying, "Hey, look, there's eight plays against Detroit where they're illegal lemon downfield." Yeah. No, the well, it's, the other, it's hard to really teach. Like the the emphasis for the line that's blocking run is just don't come off the double teams early, because you don't see too many times one on one anymore, like Joe Jacoby meleeing some dude seven yards downfield off the ball. There's not one-on-one movement like that in the league, no. It just doesn't happen. So you just can't climb off your double team to the next to the linebacker. But the thing is, is the pass action is holding the linebackers anyway, so you don't need to climb. Just block your double team and let the running back make a cutoff of it. Can they win Sunday? Like when Chase Ruye was downfield, he actually probably didn't need to be. He right. probably needed to be continuing to help on a double team. Right, because he wasn't. They weren't in the movement they needed. Yeah, but when you get a run double team, how often is that more than a yard down the field when you get to the second level? Well, the second level is the linebacker, so you get to him wherever he is. That's more than a yard down the field. But like, but a lot of times the double team is that you. No, I know the double okay. team can be right on the it's three. Really technique. rare. Uh, yeah, that we get shoulder pad to shoulder. You and I are double teaming whoever, and it's really rare that we really get shoulder-to-shoulder, ass-to-ass, take half a man, and push him downfield like you'd see on a movie on special teams. Right. Like, it does happen. But for the most part, you would come and knock him across my face to the other side, and then you'd go on up. Right. On up to level. On up to where? On up to level two. Level two, the linebackers. Yeah. 
it's not often that we take level one to level two. Got it. I don't see that very often in the NFL. Okay. In high school football, you see two guys take like, – little Joey has struggled on the defensive line this year, and he's getting his ass whooped. The double team takes him eight yards downfield. There was a – dude, who was my favorite D lineman for the Redskins? That It was after I was done. It, that's a, it, he was not my favorite, but he was uh, – who are you talking about? God, he was the worst. He was like the worst lineman ever. Oh, 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 oh. Well, no, no, no. I, I was thinking about Perry. What's his face? The linebacker that always ran the wrong way. Um, yeah, Perry Riley was. But Perry wasn't the worst. This guy was the worst. Um, Isn't McLuhan? McLuhan brought him in. He's a free agent. Uh, but he would get double teamed like eight yards. Oh, oh, oh! I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. Hold on, I'm I'm gonna get it. Keep talking. I'm I'll, I'll get it because yeah, you 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 predicted. No, you, you predicted you predicted he would get cut, and he got cut like two weeks later. Remember? Wasn't yeah, Kendall no, was Kendall awesome. Reyes? Kendall Reyes. Kendall Reyes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you're, you're like this, how did how, this guy should not be an NFL player? And the next week they cut him. No. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of those. There was a there was a lineman too. Yeah, there was a lineman that got too. cut after the Seattle win. <laughs> he, he played in this, the the win against Seattle. Maybe. We just was it Quan Joe? No, it wasn't Ari. Anyways. Okay. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Do, do they have a chance? Yeah. Here's, so here's the one field that I dismiss. Okay. And I dismiss this every time, and I'm getting better at it. Sometimes you have a different feel for the way a game's going to go just on the line. Not always. But do they have a chance? So, I you know, like I've said for years, the NFL's crazy and it changes week to week. I am a believer in Philadelphia. I was a believer in Philadelphia before the season started. I thought if Hertz just made a small step in the direction of being a better passer and decision maker that they were a 12-plus win team. I think they have the best roster in the NFC um, outside of the quarterback. They don't have the best quarterback, but right now he has taken multiple steps forward and also learning a lot about what they think about Hertz and how much he's uh, respected and how he apparently is the hardest worker and the biggest study or the whole thing. Every, he, apparently he is the whole package. I just think Philadelphia right now has a really good chance to go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC, and I know we're only two weeks into the season, and I always say that this time of the year can be head fakes, but I like their team a lot. I liked it before the season started. With that said, Monday night game, they were dominant, short week, everybody is stroking them. You know, everybody's talking about them as, you know, a, a potential Super Bowl team. And they're playing a division game on the road. It will be a big crowd for Washington anyway. All right. They're expecting 60,000 plus. By the way, the capacity, I told you guys this a few weeks ago, and Matt Paris from the Washington Times confirmed it that the capacity is actually now 62 to 63,000, which would make it like the second or third smallest capacity stadium in the NFL. I don't know if the Philadelphia fans are going to take over the stadium. I have a sense that it'll be more even than it's been in recent years where it's been all Philadelphia fans or 75% Philly fans, but who knows? 
but it's Washington desperate. Philadelphia maybe not as desperate. Even when I say desperate, I think Washington can afford to lose this game and 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 go to Dallas next week against Cooper Rushes if he's still the quarterback and get to two and two. Um, but Sean Springs texted me during the show this morning, and I'm going to read it because he he was listening and he just said. There's there's a big factor here. The team knows if they lose to Philly, they could lose four out of the next five with the schedule coming up. I think this could be an upset because they need this much more, and players can tell and feel when it's a must-win and it's desperate. And Washington might be the more desperate team this week. So, yeah, I think they have a chance. I don't think that they're anywhere near as good as Philadelphia, but Washington offensively, Remember the four games they won last year. They won by dominating time of possession, keeping the ball away from their opponent, and I think their offense has to be their best defense. And I think if and and it's capable of being their best defense. They're capable of of moving the ball on every drive and scoring on every drive. Do I think they need five turnovers and 10 penalties? I don't. But, you know, taking it, they have one takeaway in two games. They were like, you know, way down at the bottom of the league last year in takeaways. It would be nice to start getting a few takeaways. Um, but that assumes that Jalen Hurts will make some of the decisions he made last year, and he really hasn't done that in two games this year. But offensively, I'm confident that Washington can move the ball and can score. So that gives them a chance against a team that could be flat coming in off of uh, off of a Monday night game. So yeah, I give them a chance. I give them I give them more than just, you know, a a a fighters, you know, uh long shot chance against, you know, a much better team. I, I I think this is a division game and we know how these things go. Hell, they almost beat Philadelphia at the end of last year when Philadelphia needed it. And, you know, Philly didn't have AJ Brown. They didn't have some of these pieces. And Washington was playing, you know, shorthanded and, and with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. So I give him a chance. I think it's going to be a close game. What do you think? Give me your prediction. Uh, yeah. Um, they, they, they will. They will. Do, do, do. Today, Junior. Sorry. They will have to show up on offense. They're going to have to be better in the first half than they were last week. I don't think it's a game they can afford to get down. 14 points in, or do the run Rivera thing where you're down 17 points early in the football game. Right. I think it's gonna, they're going to struggle with that, especially against this team. But they're going to have to come out and score on the first couple possessions. Yeah, Maintain the ball, keep your defense off the field, because this, this is also one of those games where like, you will get tired because you're going to continue to rally to the ball over and over and over as a defensive player. Like, is this guy going to stop running? I'm exhausted. Uh so yeah, it'll be huge. You got to get you got to get Terry McLaurin involved earlier in the ball game than they've been getting him involved. Um, and then you got to continue to use the weapons that you have. And I think Scott Turner will do a better job this week. I, I'm sure that he was frustrated with how it played out in the first half last week. It wasn't a good job on his part, especially in the first half. Um, they'll get Wentz going a little bit better. Then you just can't turn the like you really do need. It's not a game where you need five turnovers. 16 penalties, but I think it is a game where you can't lose the turnover battle. I think you lose the turnover battle and you're losing the game by one turnover. You maximize possessions and you'll be in shape, and that's kind of exactly what you brought up. 
Yeah, I think every p- offensive possession is going to matter. And I think also, you know, they got to get a little bit lucky. Like maybe they get real stops in the red zone, but you also need to get a little bit lucky. Like, you know, on a condensed field, maybe, you know, Jalen has to throw one out of bounds. Maybe you get a holding penalty and they can't overcome that and they kick field goals. Um, yeah, like those are the kinds of things you kind of need. Uh, like last week, Detroit got away with a, a blatant hold, but that was the Vinovich crew. I haven't looked to see who's who's uh, refereeing this game. Vinovich is essentially a let him play. That referee. was against Jamin Davis. Yeah, against Jamin Davis, he was held. He was so clearly held on a big play. Uh, yeah, on a run out to the offensive right. Yeah, the guy exactly. like literally grabbed. I, I, did, yeah. I did write that down. Yeah, I remember that from watching. watching. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you so you got to get those things called this week, and you know, um, and. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my final score prediction right now. I think Washington gets off to a quick start because I think Philadelphia comes out a little flat, and I think they lose 24-23. I think it's a really close game. Philadelphia wins at 24-23. Man, I, I would love to see a close game. I don't know if it's that low scoring. Right. What's the, what's the over in this? Uh, first of all, the line's now up to six and a half. All right, so Philly's now a six and a half point favorite, and the total right now, as I give you the updated total, is forty seven and a half, forty eight. So I, I would be just on the total, pretty much with twenty four, twenty three. Yeah, that's why you picked that. I'm I actually, I, I, actually, I did not. I, I usually check that. Um, it was fifty to start the week. I didn't realize it had dropped, but I kind, mm. I kind of like the game because I think Philly could be a little bit flat to start, and I kind of like a twenty four, twenty three game. You got a score and a prediction? Yeah, like 30 to 17. Philly? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I, well, yeah, I, I don't, this might be the best thing for you if you, if you think this is going to fit the smell test. It doesn't. It, me, it, it doesn't. Me, me thinking. It, it, it doesn't. The action's kind of split. It's, it, the public's a little bit on Philadelphia, but sharp money's on Philadelphia too. Actually, it's a little bit split on the sharp money based on what I got last night. They're not in the smell test. Neither team is this week. Uh, one other quick, quick thing. I mean, kind of the game of the week, I think, is you know Aaron Rodgers at Tampa against Brady. I kind of like the Packers. Now, I'll tell you this. Green Bay's not in the smell test either, although I considered the Packers. Um, I think Tampa's looked really pedestrian on uh, pedestrian on offense. I think they've got the best defense I've seen in the NFL so far. But I think Green Bay may have found something last week, and I don't know. I, I'll take Aaron Rodgers uh, on the road against Tampa. You have a feel for that one or not? Yeah, I like Aaron Rodgers on the road, especially after what happened on the road last year in Tampa. Right. Well, they just got their ass kicked. I promise he's got something to prove. Uh, the one I'm super fascinated by just going through lines is how is how is Baltimore only a two point two and a half point favorite over New England? <laughs> I like I like the Patriots. No, the this the the biggest stink uh, on the board, and it's the biggest public play in either college football or pro football is Kansas City only laying five and a half to the Colts, who got shut out by Jacksonville last week. Oh, that's uh, that is dirty. <laughs> yeah. Now that's the Colts. Like, I mean, a lot of like, people. A lot of like. Yeah. That is that is early enough in the year. If this is week twelve, I'm, I'm I love it. I love Indy. It's week three. 
that if you take Indy with the points mm-hmm. and Kansas City wins by 30, you feel yeah. so well, I'm, I'm, Yeah, I'm going to have Indy. Uh, there's this. Know, this yeah, is one about. you can't turn down. And and look, it's it's recency bias. Kansas City's two and zero. They beat the Chargers last Thursday night. They've got all this rest. And the Colts. Now I've mentioned this because a lot of people gave me a hard time because I like Matt Ryan and I predicted that Matt Ryan and the Colts were going to have a good season. Um, and he's been horrific. But they were down their top two receivers last week, and they had injuries all across the board. Uh, this is a bounce back for the Colts. They hang in there. Maybe they lose, you know, on a field goal at the end, um, but they've got a chance to win this game. All right. Uh, I would love it. I would love that. But you gave me Tennessee last week, so I know I was. But I also gave you Dallas last week. So and and the Patriots last week. So the two and one yeah, NFL Tennessee's games. On, Tennessee's the hard one. Um, here, last thing before I go. Yeah. Because um, you do have an important thing to do today. I do. <laughs> I still can't believe Kyle Shanahan didn't take Mac Jones. I don't even know if he's going to be that good, but just the fact that they love Kirk the way they love Kirk and how many similarities. But maybe Kyle's looking at it and saying, like, we need Jalen Hurts. That's, I, I know that offense. I know that style. We, I created it, a lot of it in the NFL, and that's what I want to do. Because Trey Lance can do a lot of that stuff. No, we're not going to see it this year. <clears throat> And you know no, what? What, what if I know? I, I know you have to run too. Um, what if? What if Jimmy Garoppolo leads them back to like the NFC Championship game again, or maybe a Super Bowl again? Because that roster is loaded. What? Yeah, I, if he takes them to Super Bowl, I think you move on from Trey Lance. You have to. Yeah. I mean, dude, that doing Jimmy so dirty. <laughs> I mean, God. I know. All right. Thank Can you. Can you even imagine? No, I can't. I can't imagine. Um, oh, the best thing—the best thing you did in the last two weeks. I, I think you remember this when I called you late at night, and then you, we talked, and I said, "I said, said thanks for thanks for having." I said, "Thanks for coming on," and you said, "I always appreciate coming on with you." <laughs> I on said, a "Phone call." I said that. Well, I was asleep when you called. That was the when you called, and I didn't <laughs> remember that we actually talked. Or you said, thanks for having me on first. One of those things. <laughs> you were tired and implying that you were on my radio show talking to me on the cell phone. Okay. Well, I was, I was asleep. Yesterday on, on the show, I told Tommy about a dream that I had with, uh, with Bradley Beal in it. Bradley Beal and I were here arguing about actually the uh, Washington Commanders uh, team and the organization. And then I asked him uh, if he could help me get Francis Tiafo on the show. Do you, do you know who Francis Tiafo is? No. Francis Tiafo just got to the semifinals of the U.S. Open, and he's from the area. And he is kind of a budding star in tennis. And Bradley Beal's a good friend of his, and Bradley Beal was in the player's box the entire U.S. Open up in New York watching Francis yeah. Tiafo play. And so in my dream, I said, can you help me get Francis Tiafo on the show? And we're sitting here in my studio, and he said, really? And he got up and walked out. And that was the end of my dream. <laughs> that was the end of my dream. Okay, I got to roll. You got to roll. We'll talk next week about today. the Eagles game. Thank Play you. Well. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Chris Cooley, everybody. Merrill Reese, who covers, who's been calling the Eagles games forever, will be my guest next. Uh, and then we'll finish up with the smell test right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Give us five stars on Apple, if you don't mind. Uh, A one to two sentence review. Really, really helpful this time of year. My guest right now is the legendary voice of the Philadelphia Eagles, Merrill Reese. He's been calling games in Philadelphia since 1977. And, uh, sir, you've got a hell of a football team this year. I love my conversations with Merrill over the years. And I was thinking, who's been – who's the – uh, longest tenured play-by-play voice in the NFL. Is it you or is it Brad Sham in Dallas? No, it, it would be me. Okay. A uh, couple, couple of things. Brad and I actually started out together, and we were doing color in our first year. But what happened was uh, Brad was doing the color for Vern Lundquist at the time. But in at the end of 77, and it might have been the same time for Brad. Brad might have been 77. Uh, we both moved into the play-by-play seat for various circumstances. And I've been doing it ever since. And Brad did it for a long time. But then Brad uh, got into a thing with Jerry Jones about something on a television show. And Brad and, and Brad ended up not doing the Cowboys for two or three years. He did the Texas Rangers. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that, that's crazy. You know, you've been doing the games with with Mike Quick now for how long? That's been forever. Twenty five years. So twenty five. So who who were your uh, who were your partners before Quick? 
Well, when I first began, uh, I took over, as I said, with two games to go in the 77 season. The play-by-play announcer died, and I jumped in, and I got Herb Adderley, former Green Bay sure. Packer, Hall of Famer. It was a quick thing. Hey, Merrill, grab somebody. You're doing the game. And, and Herb lived in the Philadelphia area, and, and we knew each other well. So I got Herb for those last two games, and then Herb became a, a Temple assistant coach right after that. So for the uh, 78 season, it was a, a writer, uh, a guy who was a sports columnist by the name of Jim Barniak, and he did it for a couple of years. And then Bill Berge uh, retired, and Bill Berge moved into the color analyst job wow. uh, for probably 81 and 82. And after that, it was Sam Waters, who was the all-pro left tackle, and Stan did it for 14 years. And then Stan got into a situation where his wife uh, worked for a large corporation and became head of overseas operations. And he was fine when he was when he had moved to Atlanta. He used to commute and do the games. But when they moved to England, that became uh, undoable. So, so Stan retired from doing the games and then... Uh, Mike Quick moved in, and Mike has been doing it for the last 25 years. You know, I'm thinking here, uh, and I don't think we've had this conversation before, even though I think sometimes when I have conversations with you, it always sort of goes back to the past because as NFC brothers, you know, we we, we remember a lot of the same things, you for uh, from the booth for so long. But correct me if I'm wrong, your first full season in 1978 – would have included the Miracle in the Meadowlands call, right? It did, November 19th. November 19th. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, November 19th, 1978. That was the first Miracle in the Meadowlands. Yeah, that was the first I, one. Deshaun know, there, was there, the second there, one, yeah. Deshaun was kind of the second one. There was, there was another one at Giant Stadium. Of course, they were all Giant Stadium or MetLife Stadium as now, but there was Giant Stadium before. The other one, there was one, believe it or not, um, in October, October 19th, and that was when Brian Westbrook returned a punt for a touchdown to set up a, a, a near miracle. We kind of called it a miracle. And the one we called miracle, too, was to Sean Jackson, and that was December 19th, 2010. Wow. So we had one on the October 19th, one on November 19th, and one on December 19th, and they were all at the Giants facility. Do you know, um, one of the reasons I reference occasionally the Miracle in the Meadowlands game is not because of Herm Edwards or anything like that. It's because sometimes, you know, the conversation will come up, when did teams start to take a knee? And I, you know, because in 1978, teams would not take a knee at the end of games to run out the clock. They would actually run plays, which is why Joe Pisarczyk was trying to hand the ball off to, who was it, Larry Zonka, I think, maybe? It I forget. was Larry Zonka. Yeah. It was Larry Zonka. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I don't know if that was the beginning of teams saying, wait a minute, if the other team's got no timeouts left, what are we doing running plays? But it may have been right. the start of that. It might have been. It yeah. might have been. Uh, it, it was. It was certainly an amazing moment. I mean, I was already uh, promoting the next week's game, saying next week the Eagles will be in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there, there it went. That was certainly crazy. 
Yeah, that, well, was, that was the most unbelievable thing ever. The other thing about the 78 season, which would have been your first full season, I think that was really the beginning of the Eagles becoming a good football team, you know, with Ron Jaworski eventually culminating in the year that they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Raiders. Because it, it did, it was. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you the other thing about that season that you're not going to believe. <laughs> and, and, and people are going to find this unbelievable. Guess how many preseason games I did that year? Six. How about the Eagles were blessed with the Hall of Fame game <laughs> that we did seven oh preseason games? Oh, my God. Well, you got some practice. Seven preseason and 14 regular seasons. That is outrageous. You know, Washington, I remember uh, at some point in the 70s when they were still playing six preseason games, also played in that game in Canton and had seven of them. That's that's unbelievable. I think we will be down to two within two or three years, um, personally. But uh, oh, I, I think so too. It's going to go. It's going to go down to two, and it's going to go to eighteen regular season yeah, games. Agreed. Agreed. But see, there's something else about those seven or six preseason games. Uh, the fact of the matter is, we saw regulars. We saw starters. Yeah. It wasn't unusual. Eagles used to play the, their their final preseason game, and this went on for years, Kevin. They would play the Giants at Palmer Stadium in Princeton. And it, I think it was sponsored by the Princeton JCs. And it was a big fundraiser. And it was the last preseason game. Against a division opponent. that seriously. Right. I mean, that was starters against starters for at least three quarters. Well, the Redskins played the Colts pretty much uh, every preseason, and that was kind of a big deal. But, you know, um, Theismann and Rigo and, and, and a lot of the guys have told me over the years, and Sonny did for years, um, that they used the preseason to get into shape because a lot of those guys had off-season regular jobs. So yeah. it was just a much different uh, thing. Uh, thank God um, we don't have to endure that uh, anymore. Um, anyway, uh, enough of, of going down memory lane because my memories of, of a good team are, are much longer in the rear view um, than yours. And in watching you know, the first two games for the Eagles, certainly I, we, getting ready for Detroit, I saw a lot of the Detroit-Philly game after the fact, and then we all watched Monday night. I guess my question to you, you know, having been around a lot of really good Eagles teams for a long time, uh, how good is this team? How good can this te- uh, team become? Well, I think we saw or got a partial answer to that last Tuesday night uh, or, or last Monday, Monday night. Yeah. But, but, yeah, there's no, there's no Tuesday night football at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but when you do a Monday night game, the days of the week all the, kind of run together and you're, yes. you're, you're, you're totally out of whack because the Wednesday schedule was really the Tuesday schedule. And then, if, yeah, everything changes. But anyhow, the Monday night game gave us a pretty good look at how good this team can be. But it doesn't mean that that's how good they're going to be every single week. I I always think that September is a very misleading month because the teams don't play anybody during the preseason. And then you have the the practices, which are way different than they used to be. I I don't know how Ron – I would think that Ron's a little more physical at his practices than – a lot of the other teams, I'm not saying he's Dan Campbell tough, but I think they're probably just knowing Ron Rivera as well as I do. And I, I think the world of him, by the way, and I he's know. a yeah. good friend. But 
But knowing Ron, I would think there's some physicality to the to the commander's practices. With the Eagles, uh, there's no tackling to the ground at all. They didn't do that at all, not one day. And the practices are well organized, and they're very intense, and they're they're beneficial, but they're short. I mean, the the average practice is about an hour and a half, and they do that once a day. I think Dick Vermeil comes out once a year to watch and gets his stomachache and leaves because, because it, he can't stand to watch it. Because he could go back to those days when yeah. they, they had the baton death march twice a day. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think, you know, and I heard Belichick say this during the uh, preseason when they didn't look good in one of the games. He said, look, I, I usually don't know much about my team year in and year out until week six or week seven. Um, and I think that goes for a lot of people. That's why, uh, personally, the obsession with preseason and training camp, um, you know, in, in the world we live in in particular, is just so overdone. Very little of it sometimes translates to the regular season, as does even the first few weeks. With that said, Merrill, I, I can't imagine as many games as you've done that you've seen a more impressive first half especially on offense, they had 350 yards in the first half. I, I think we, without the penalties, I, I don't know what they would have put up points-wise, but that was one of the more impressive halves by an NFL team, and offense in particular, I've seen in a long time. What, what, what did you think? Well, I, I agree 100%. I said to Mike Quick at the end of the game, I said, you know, I, I have to say this. Now, I'm not talking – historically, because historically you're talking about the magnitude of a game. So it's tough to compare something to Nick Nick Foles' MVP performance in Super Bowl 52. But just on a productive standpoint, from a productive standpoint, I can't think of many, over the years, many better quarterback performances than what we saw from Jalen Hurts in that game. I mean, he completed over 83% of his passes, he ran for a touchdown, a 26-yard touchdown run, and scored another. He was he threw a 53-yard bomb. He did everything you could want a quarterback to do. Now, the only thing marring his rating, which I think was around 118 or something, but was was an interception. But that really wasn't his no, fault. No, it wasn't. It bounced off the hands of Kenneth Gainwell, the intended receiver. So, but but he was. Jalen Hurts was as close to perfection as you could be. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you mentioned that to Michael Vick uh, immediately reminded me of probably the other greatest half in... No, I, I mentioned it to Mike Quick. Oh, Mike Quick. I'm sorry. I thought you said after the game you saw Mike Vick and said it. Okay. No, 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 I, Mike no Quick. I mentioned it to well, Mike. Well, Mike, Mike Quick was my caller. Yeah, love. yeah, of course. Um because the game we refer to around here is the Monday Night Massacre was when the Eagles oh. came in here and had th- essentially 35 points in the first quarter. And on the first play of the game, Vic hit Deshaun Jackson, who beat everybody, um, including uh, 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 Leron Landry, who had been yapping the whole week and yapping before the game. And the first play was like a 90-yard bomb uh, to Deshaun Jackson. And I think it was 59-28 to 28 was the final score, if my memory serves oh, me correctly. Oh, I remember that yeah. well. Yeah. I remember that well. Um, so, um, back to this year's team that Washington will be facing Sunday at 1 uh, in Landover. Um, it's early. We understand that. You just saw you know, one of the better qu- quarterback performances you've seen. What, through the first two games, do you think has legs? 
Like, what what are you convinced will hold up, even though this is the portion of the schedule where we're still learning about these teams? Okay, we say hold up. Uh, I always caution listeners uh, that the National Football League is a war of attrition. And people go down every week and uh, people say, how are they going to be? What do you project? I said, well, if you could tell me who's going to line up for the Eagles and who's going to line up for the Cowboys on December 24th, I'd have a much better idea. So it's how you replace guys and how you're able to pick somebody off a practice squad like the Eagles did in 2017 when their kicker Caleb Sturgis went down and they snatched Jake Elliott off the Bengals practice squad and he went on and kicked the 61-yard field goal to beat the Giants and changed the whole season, turned the whole season around. So you don't know what happens in the course of a season. But if you're saying what has legs, what do I look at now that I think is going to be the great strength of this football team? I think if you look at one area more than any other, it's the offensive line. I think they are so good. It's it's one of the best offensive lines uh, I've been around. They're they're from tackle to tackle. I mean, you have a couple of young players at the guards and Landon Dickerson and Isaac Ciamalo, but then you have Jason Kelsey who hasn't fallen off. Right. I mean, he started 124 straight games, and at the tackles you have a couple of all pros, Lane Johnson. And I think Jordan Mailata, who's eight feet three and seven hundred and sixty-two pounds, <laughs> he just keeps getting better and better. I mean, they're they're amazingly good, and they really are. I, I think one of the things that we all saw during the off season was a you know the offensive line was really good. It was last year. B you added some big pieces clearly on defense, and you were getting Brandon Graham back. Um, And then, obviously, the addition of A.J. Brown via the trade, that the biggest question was, will Jalen Hurts take that next step? And through through two weeks, it appears as if he he has, um, but but specific to Jalen, is the belief growing uh, if it wasn't there two weeks ago? Like, what's the overall vibe about the quarterback who was kind of the mystery about a team that's loaded everywhere else coming into this season? There are a lot of people who don't want to admit that they were wrong. And so they are hang- they, they, they are <laughs> holding out hope that, that they will be proven right. Yeah. I'm not one of them. I, I believe in Jalen Hurts back when I watched him at Alabama, and then, of course, it is last year at Oklahoma. And I was thrilled when they picked him at the late in the second round. But I, I just think he's getting better and better and that the talent is enormous. Uh, number one, he's a leader. He is revered by his teammates. Number two, you know the athleticism. But the thing that people keep harping on um, is his arm talent. And believe me, There's not a pass that he can't throw. He's got plenty of arm. I've seen him throw it. You know, people see a quarterback loft the ball downfield 50 yards. Every high school quarterback can loft it downfield 50 or 60 yards. You want to measure arm strength. You look at the velocity with which the quarterback can deliver that 22-yard out pass where the where you've got to beat the linebackers and you've got to throw it on a rope. Sure. And he has all the velocity in the world. He's got a very strong arm. What he had to improve upon was decision-making, his reads, and being able to make that decision quickly and drop back and let it go. 
and and improve his accuracy somewhat. And he went to a quarterback coach all summer. I believe it was Tom House out in California, and he worked on that. He is dedicated. He is diligent. He is a a football junkie. I'm telling you, he's got everything you want in a young quarterback. I think he's special, and I think he's going to continue to grow. That, that, that doesn't mean this Sunday he's going to come out and pass for you know with an 83 percent completion percentage against the Commanders, or that he's going to you know throw for another 300 yards. But I'm telling you that the the learning curve on Jalen Hurts is heading straight up. And he has a very high ceiling. Uh, you said something, and it was going to be my follow-up question. He's revered and and loved by his teammates. Just tell me, elaborate on on the kind of person Jalen Hurts is, and and why he's got that locker room. He's got a good sense of humor, but you don't see it much on the outside. Uh, he also is somebody who is diligent, who talks to every teammate. He's friendly with everybody. He's, they see him lead by example. He's the hardest worker. He's the first one in the building, the last one to leave. He, he confers with everybody. He spreads the ball around. He treats the defensive guys very, very well. He's just, he's just likable, and he's bright, and he just has that innate something that people seem, seem to gravitate towards. All right, two more for um, Merrill Reese. Uh, one o'clock Sunday in Landover, the Skins and the Eagles, the Commanders and the Eagles. Um, by the way, that's, that's <laughs> that, trust me, it's just as hard for us and painful actually for some of us. Uh, but well, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just so happy I don't have to refer to them as the football team. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I, uh, I'm I'm happy. I mean, Commanders is a, is a good name for them. Uh, and it's one that I don't have trouble remembering. Well, I don't know. I, uh, it, for 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 longtime fans like me, this whole thing has been pretty difficult to deal with. But um, two more uh, related to the Eagles. Number one, what have you guys learned about Nick Sirianni in just over a year? That he has learned the ways of the NFL. That he has grown as a head coach that he's miles better at his media conferences. He was awkward and unsure of himself when he began. Right. And now he's comfortable. Uh, he gives us just enough. Um, he has a little period after his first press briefing well, on, on Fridays where uh, you have a, an opportunity to ask questions for the first 15 minutes, and then they say, shut the recorders and the cameras down, and you move up to the podium, and he'll speak off the record to you and give you a little bit more. He's a very, very nice guy. He has a great culture in the locker room, and uh, he's respected. I think he's a bright young coach, and I think that he is getting better and more comfortable in the job every day. All right, I also have to say, not, not that you asked me, but I also have to say that the, the commanders have a heck of a coach, too, because Ron Rivera is the epitome of, of what a head NFL coach is supposed to be. He really is. He's a great guy, and yet he's tough and he's strong, and that if they give him the support from a personnel standpoint, the commanders will be on the right track. 
Well, I know you've told me and, and shared those feelings with me in the past. And, you know, one of the things I think we've learned here about Ron is he's a good man. He's a quality person. He's a hell of a leader. And, you know, this organization hasn't had many of those uh, over the last two decades with the ownership being what it is. So we'll see what happens. He's 15 and 20. I mean, at the, you know, bottom line business, he's got 15 wins, 20 losses. So we'll see what, what happens. But my last one for you is, of course, this is going to be the first of two uh, and the first two against Carson Wentz since Philly traded him to Indianapolis. So how much of this is a storyline in Philly this week? Oh, it's a big story. It's got to be a big story because Carson was somebody we talked about every day. Uh, from the point, the, from the day they drafted him until the day he left. And the fact that uh, he spent last year in Indianapolis, that was a whole big thing going back to Frank Reich and then ends up in, in Washington this year. It's a huge, huge part. It is the, the number one storyline going into this game. Absolutely. So what's the, what is the discussion? Is it more positive? Is it more negative? Is it mixed? I mean, I know that we all know the Philly fan base, and it's it's could be super tough and super critical, constructive sometimes, and sometimes and other other times not so much. What's the feeling? I mean, do they want to kick Carson's ass, or are are they you know they want to win Sunday, but they're they're also kind of rooting for him to succeed? What, what is the overall vibe on him? Well, I think even his biggest fans will root for him to succeed when he's not playing the Eagles or the game doesn't have a huge effect on what the Eagles are doing. Uh, you know, if, if Washington were out of the picture, there might be fans that will root for him. But as long as they are playing the beloved Eagles, they will root against him. Now, this past week, Jalen Rager, who was recently right. sent to Minnesota, <laughs> every time he stepped on the Saw field, it. Yeah, it. it was tremendous booing. I don't think that will be the case with Carson Wentz when he comes here. I think he will get some of it, uh, but I think there will be mixed reaction when he arrives uh, to play at Lincoln Financial Field. He still has his fans. He still has people who are sorry that the Eagles ever traded him or let him go. But the truth of the matter is, Carson, they weren't going to. I mean, Carson forced that deal. Carson absolutely took it into his own hands and and basically said, I went out, and they accommodated him and got the best they, deal they possibly could. But uh, basically, uh, he still has his fans, but uh, they will not root for him when you play the, the Commanders, I promise you that. You know, that'll be a Monday nighter in November. Uh, the, uh, the league has a sense of humor, and so they'll put the two together on Monday night for the second meeting. Let's hope when we get there, from our sake anyway, and uh, it, it, the game has some meaning um, when we get to that point. Uh, enjoy your trip down. Enjoy your day um, in Landover. It's always I, great I to noticed, hear your voice. I noticed, I, I noticed, I noticed <laughs> Kevin, you didn't say enjoy your vantage point. <laughs> oh, oh, I know, I, listen, I know, what it, I know what it is or was until recently for even the home team. You know, the last couple of years before the pandemic – um, because I was doing the pre, I did the pregame show for 14 years, and and many times I did it from the booth, and we were all the way down at the 15 yard line instead of midfield there for the last couple of years. So I know where you guys well, did are. They move, did they move them back? I, are they back now? You know, it's a good question. I think they did. I'm not 100 uh-huh. percent sure. Um, 
but I think they may have. But uh, yeah, I know it's. Well, I, you know, I always say, <laughs> why are they at Landover and we're seated in Chevy Chase? <laughs> you pretty, pretty much. You are a long <laughs> way away. Um, it's great to hear your voice. I hope you're well. You got a hell of a team, it looks like, this year. But like you said, it's a fleeting thing. This league is week to week, and health means everything. So uh, enjoy it the does. game Sunday, Merrill. We'll talk maybe before that Monday nighter. Thanks, Kevin. Great to speak with you. Up next, the smell test to finish off the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the the smell smell test. test. The smell test is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. You've got to use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit. Very few shops are doing that. Fair lines, fair pricing. You can't go wrong with my bookie for your football season betting. Just use my promo code, KevinDC. All right, four and five last week. 10-15-1 overall, although we're off to a good start. I gave you the Cleveland Browns last night minus the four. Um, so there we go, uh, a good start to the weekend. Uh, let's start with college football games tomorrow. Maryland, I thought, was going to be a 21-point dog or more. They're only a 17-point dog, and that line's not changing. I, I like the Terps to keep it close in the big house tomorrow at Michigan, uh, plus the 17. By the way, if you missed uh, my conversation on yesterday's show with Steve Souter, who will be calling the game with Johnny Holiday on the Team 980 uh, tomorrow at noon, uh, go back and listen to that. Steve was great. I like Virginia plus 10 at Syracuse. Syracuse is 3-0. and UVA's got a struggling offense. The line should be more than 10, and the public really likes Syracuse. I'll take Virginia plus the 10 uh, tomorrow. Auburn got pummeled, um, but Missouri, in their only real game of the year uh, against Kansas State, got totally crushed as well. In fact, almost by the identical score that Penn, St- uh, that Penn State beat Auburn by last week. Missouri lost to K-State 40-12. to Auburn got beat 41-12. to um, Still, the public doesn't realize that Auburn is in big trouble. Brian Harson is on the hottest of hot seats I like Missouri plus seven to keep it close at Jordan-Hare. Arkansas State's getting five and a half at ODU. ODU and Appalachian State, App State, have become kind of of the public darlings in college football of the smaller non-Power 5 schools. ODU beat Virginia Tech, and people got excited about that. Since then, blown out at ECU and a two-point loss to UVA. It's a sunbelt opener for both of these teams. I'm going to take the Arkansas State Red Wolves. The Red Wolves, plus five and a half. I gave you Iowa last week, minus 23 and a half against Nevada. And I, I think I predicted the score. I said 27 to nothing or 27 to three. I like Iowa again uh, tomorrow, minus seven at Rutgers. The public's playing Rutgers. Uh, I think this reeks of like 19 to 10. I'll take Iowa laying the seven. I mentioned, I think yesterday, the total in this game is 33 and a half. It would be the lowest total since either 2004 or 2006. I can't uh, get that completely um, confirmed, but it's been close to 20 years since we've, we've seen a college football total under 34. That one's at 33 and a half. Iowa minus seven's the play. Uh, Bama's a big public play, laying 40 and a half against Vandy. I'll take Vanderbilt. 
Ohio State's laying uh, 19 to Wisconsin. They scored 77 against Toledo last week. Wisconsin scored 14 two weeks ago in a 17-14 loss to Washington State. I like Wisconsin plus 19. And Kansas State lost to Tulane last week while Oklahoma was destroying Nebraska. And the Sooners are only laying 12 and a half. I'll take K-State. Uh, Sunday. The biggest public play on the board this weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs laying five and a half against the Colts who got shut out against Jacksonville. I'll take the Colts plus six and a half. The Patriots are getting two and a half by the half point. Get it to three. The public loves the Ravens. I'll take the Pats. This one, I'm... I feel like I'm going to be cursed with the Jets. I gave them out in week one, loser. I wanted to give them out last week and didn't, and they won outright against the Browns. This week, everybody assumes the Bengals have to win the game. They're 0-2. They're laying less than a touchdown against the Jets. I'll take the Jets plus the six. And then Buffalo, I mean, you can't get people off of Buffalo right now. They're laying five and a half at Miami. And the Dolphins obviously had one of the more impressive comebacks in recent memory. Uh, But the public is pounding Buffalo. I'll take the Dolphins plus the five and a half. All right, recapping the smell test. Maryland plus 17. Virginia plus 10. Missouri plus 7. Arkansas State plus five and a half. Iowa minus 7. Vandy plus 40 and a half. Wisconsin plus 19. Kansas State plus 12 and a half. And then I had Cleveland last night. The Browns minus four winner. The other four NFL plays. The Colts plus five and a half. The Pats plus three three, the Jets plus six, and the Dolphins plus five and a half. That is it for the show. I'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.